0: believers, and he says, you know what, I, I give thanks uh, for you guys. And so let us go ahead and re- read there, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Hard to find a person like that who will take that time and energy to pray consistently like that, but Paul did it. Verse 10, Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you might be established. And that is, that I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and of me. And with that, let us pray as we get into the message for tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just guide us by your grace, and Lord, help us to have this thankful spirit that I see the Apostle Paul demonstrated throughout uh, the various places where he ministered. And Lord, sometimes I think that we take things for granted, and sometimes I guess I don't think it, I know it. But I pray that you would just help us have the spirit of not criticism, but thankfulness, and who you've given us to minister to, who you've given us to reach, who you've allowed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would just, uh, in, in, in the spirit of love and joy and peace, be thankful for those you've put in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ebenezer, well, I shouldn't say Ebenezer. I was thinking of that this morning. Uh, Albert Einstein, you know, he was one of the smartest intellectual minds of the world, and he has studied the depths of science that there is to study, and particularly space. And you know, he's the one that came up with that theory of E equals E E equals M C squared. And sometimes it's hard for me to even know what that means, but he knew what it, what it meant. And uh, one of the students, you know, and it jokingly mattered, just thought and. One of the occasions where he was sitting in the classroom, and they asked him, and they said, well, how many feet are in a mile? You know, thinking that he'd just be able to quote it right off the top of his head. But uh, Albert Einstein, he just seemed to, like, stop for a minute, and he just didn't have the answer to that, and he didn't know what to say. It really took the, the student by surprise. Sure, surely, Albert Einstein, he's joking. There's no way that he wouldn't know the answer to how many feet are in a mile. Anybody, anybody knows that. Even the, the average student knows that. But sure enough, he didn't know it. And the student asked him and said, uh, "Doctor Einstein, is you know, is there something wrong? You you just not feeling well? What's what's going on?" He said, "Son, I don't I don't bother myself with a trivial matter. It's something you can look up in a book. I study the deep things of science. I'm looking to go deeper. I'm looking to go uh, more into depth to discover what's really out there in the world and to." find this kind of science. That was his passion, to explore those deep things of the universe, to plumb the depths of the mathematical and physical truths. And Apostle Paul, he was not interested in just some trivial things. He was more interested in seeing the the greatness of God working in the hearts and lives of the individual believers. You know, to him, it was just astonishing that God would work in the hearts and lives of sinners such as himself, that the, the, the infinite, the eternal, the the God that just blows our our minds would come and dwell the, a, a person through the grace of God and work in his life in such a way that it would just transform his whole his whole mind, his heart, his life, his being, to to really change everything, his whole nature. And again, he would write over in Second Corinthians, being you know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, is what Paul would pen, and it's one of those things that really grabbed the Apostle Paul's attention that the creator of all the earth would work in the lives of such undeserving creatures such as us. And uh, it was this very passion for Christ and the gospel that led to Paul's desire to, to visit the church in Rome. And while Einstein was engrossed in physical reality, Paul was enamored with the final reality, the invasion of the eternal transforming lives into the present time. Rome was a city uh, which was not known to be the best city in the world. You're looking for a place to stay. I don't know if Rome would be one of those places. You look back at a time of the history and some of the lives, uh, some of the things that were going on. Of course, Gibbon, I think is his name, Gibbon, he wrote a. I have never read the books, but I got them sitting on my bookshelf. Okay, but five books, a series of of what led to the rise and downfall of Rome and some of the licentious living that was going on during that period of time. And uh, there was a historian by the name of Tacitus. He wrote, "All vile and abominable things are were encouraged in Rome." You look at some of the things that were going on. The Pantheon. to be distinguished from the Parthenon, but almost the same, same thing. The Pantheon, Pan mean many, many gods underneath the roof of this this temple, attributed to all these gods, and and they were worshiping every one. These gods were gods erected to of of all kinds of vices that you might imagine. You know, think of Aphrodite and some of these others. Uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't the best kind of place to be. You know, of course they had to things that were good about them, the aqueducts and the paved roads and the Pax Romana and other things that people would look to and say, wow, uh, look at the glory of Rome, but when you got down to the living of the citizens and that kind of thing, it wasn't the best thing in the world. The Colosseum where they would take Christians to uh, be entertained by watching them be shed to death, you mean, be mauled to death by lions and bears and all kinds of creatures, whatever they get let loose and just took 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 all kinds of glory in watching the bloodshed. I mean, it was just really abominable if you think about it. However, in Rome, Rome where they didn't have the God of the universe, it didn't seem like they didn't know Him. In Rome where they didn't acknowledge God, they didn't practice any sort of Christianity. In Rome where... Nero would rise up in Rome where Pilate would wash his hands of Jesus and Rome where they didn't want anything to do with Christianity and Rome where they didn't want anything to do with God and in Rome where they weren't living pure lives. They, 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 In fact, they lived perverse lifestyles and homosexuality and a lot of those practices were going on there. In, in Rome, and all kinds of uh, uh any way that you could think about it, you wouldn't think that the gospel would get to this place, but yet it had really penetrated the lives of those who lived there in such a way that it would just caught the attention of, of of the whole world. You mean that there's people in Rome who worship Jesus Christ, who went to a cross and he he died there? You would worship that kind of Savior? You would worship that kind of Christianity? What what about what about um, Uh, Zeus? What about Jupiter? What about Nike? What about one of those other guys? Surely not that Christ. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that believe not, you know, and we saw that when the Apostle Paul had written over the book of 1 Corinthians. But Paul, as he sees that uh, these Christians are shining as a light at a dark place and the place where you wouldn't think that it would happen, begins to praise God because of these people and their faith. He compliments them. He encourages them. And when we look at everything that the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, it doesn't seem that their lifestyle would necessarily line up to to everything desirable, but Paul sees that uh, they have this genuine faith, and you could always build upon something. It was something to praise God for, and his tongue begins to be lifted up in praise and, and, and to glorify God and instead of criticism. And I, I've, I've seen it over and over again throughout my Christian life that, that there are some people that just have this gift of criticism and say, "Well, look at that guy." Is sitting in the pew next to me, you know, look at what he's doing. I can't believe this is going on. I can't believe this guy's in church. I can't believe that lady's in church. And they have this gift of criticism, but not the Apostle Paul. He has this gift of praise for these guys. And I believe when I look here and I study the Scriptures and I see his his gift of thankfulness, it just really captures my attention to say, hey, you know what, if we need anything in this world, we, we need, need to have the spirit of thankfulness in the day and age in which we live. It can't be all doom and gloom. There's a lot that we can praise God for, but sometimes we have this tendency to think that, well, I'll praise God for my house, but not for the person in the pew next to me. I'll praise God for the car. I'll praise God for uh, the just the, the things, the materialism that we have, but it won't praise God for uh, this, this person or that person or what have you. And... Paul Paul really stands against that sharp criticism that is there. Some eyes are focused on finding faults in others. Others are focused on discovering diamonds in the rough. Paul looks deep down at these guys and he sees that there's something to work with. If God could transform his life, he could transform your life. If God could change him from a persecutor of the church to a preacher, he could transform them too. And he's looking into. The fact that they had the same Holy Spirit, the one that sanctified his life, the one that gives them the gifts of serving and could use them and call them to serve in a powerful way, just as much as God could use him to serve and call him into the ministry there, there is a lot of potential. Why? Because the potential is not really necessarily wrapped up in them, but it's wrapped up in who God is. And the God that's really living inside of them, this is what he sees. God can do great things far above than what we could ever ask or think. Even in the lives that we have, we say, well, I'm not much of anybody. Well, neither am I. Neither am I. But it doesn't matter you know, what your background is, where you come from, what you've done what sins you've struggled with, there is a lot of potential. And Paul thinks God that he has put these people in his lives to bring out the best in them, to, to encourage them to grow in the faith and to see them serve in such a powerful way. Not only that their faith would go abroad, but they would see something more going out, that they would be a witness, a lighthouse to see Rome transformed for the glory of God. Be thankful for the people that God puts into your life. Be thankful for the ministry that God has called you to. Don't take it begrudgingly. And I wonder this morning whether we find ourselves praising or whether we find ourselves criticizing. And uh, sometimes I know that we say things and in, in jest and in joking, and I do believe that it's okay to have fun, whether it's uh, Brother Brian and Denny over here. It's okay to have fun, isn't it? You know, it doesn't matter about that. You know, it's, it's all in love and joy and that kind of thing, all in Uh, fun and games, but uh, to be thankful. I'm sure, are you thankful for Brian? Okay. (laughs) All All right, you are, all right, all right. We got that out of the way. We didn't have to have an altar call first thing before we went into the sermon. But what stands out to me is this, again, Paul's thankfulness. And I'll bring it out at the end, but let me go ahead and say it to you. When we look at the latter half of Romans chapter one, when we saw who God is, His revelation, His power, His Godhead, His just revealed in creation, revealed in conscience, revealed to us in so many different ways the power of His Word. And yet there were people who ...who were not thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. God gives them over to a reprobate mind. They were unthankful. They, they did not glorify God. They, they, they glorified themselves. And Paul has this opposite kind of spirit. And again, I'll bring it out toward the end. But just wanted to be in your mind that we could either be thankful or we could be unthankful... ...like those who have departed from God and not living for God... ...and would not give God glory for what He's doing in their lives. And Paul was thankful because of the witness of the Roman believers... Paul was thankful because of the work that had begun in their lives. And if we're going to be thankful, if we're going to be thankful people, if we're going to be useful in the lives of others, then we got to learn how to praise. Praise God for those in our lives, for our children, our grandchildren, for the bus kids, for those who are next to us. We got to learn how to praise God. And bring out the best potential wind to praise them for the good things. I'm not saying just. To uh, to exaggerate and go above and beyond but those good qualities that are there I think that we ought to have this spirit of praise and say you know what i, f- I found this in my own children's life but I tell them I say Elijah you know I realized in this situation oftentimes you would act out in anger but I saw how you responded you came to mom and dad and, and and you asked us to help out and you did not get angry and I began to praise him for that and I said son you know the Bible says don't make any friends with an angry person and anger is God doesn't like anger in the life of a believer and son you've done well and i praise him for those kind of things this is the kind of thing that the apostle paul is praising something that that is a real genuine true quality to praise praise god for these people and those praiseworthy things in our lives and then to pray for them we ought to be praying for it. paul didn't know these guys he he was never in Rome except for the one time that he was in Rome. He was brought there in chains, and and he didn't know if he was going to live or die or what it was going to be. But he was brought there in chains, able to witness there as he was brought into the uh, the the to the I don't know the 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 capital. What do you call it? the the the, the province I guess it was the, the the capital building is in my terminology, my mind it was it was where Caesar lived and it's where all their princes lived and it's where all their servants lived and Paul was able to get the gospel out. Paul was praying for the Christian believers who were there and he poured out his heart and even though he had never met them he says I want to pray for these guys they have faith and I want to pray that their faith is going to be established and build it upon and that they would serve God. Why? Because I know the devil is out there and I know that there's all kinds of false doctrines to deceive them and to pull them away from the faith. I want to pray for them now because I know what's on the way. And he begins to pray for them specifically and personally. We'll get into that tonight. And then he pours out his self into the lives of others. And those are the three points I see tonight I see the praise, I see the prayer. And I see pouring out our lives into others. And it's really in this order that Paul brings it out. If I'm going to be a thankful person, I need to learn how to praise. If I want to be a thankful person, i got to know how to pray for others. If I want to be a thankful person, I've got to know how to pour out my life into somebody else. And this is Paul, Paul's heart being poured out before, the, before everybody, written in the book of Romans, written in black and white. There's, I mean, he's, he's not lying to us now. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm praying and I'm praising and I'm pouring out my life into the life of these believers. It says in verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all thank my God that the gospel has went out and has penetrated your heart, penetrated your lives. And so oftentimes I wonder how this had transpired, how the gospel got into Rome. Because it wasn't that the Apostle Paul was there, it wasn't that you know, some of the other disciples got there. Uh, and I look at what was going on during the period of time, and of course Jesus Christ had a lot of interactions there with the Romans. Of course, you know, Jewish, the Jewish believers, the Israelite believers, were under the Roman oppression and rule during that time. And Jesus at one time, Jairus was a centurion. He was under the rule of the Romans. He was one of their soldiers, one of their captains there. And Jesus had an impact on the life of them. And and they saw the work that he was able to do, heard the gospel during that time, and at least in the life of that one person, Jairus, and remembered what Jesus had done for his son and his servant. Maybe that's how the gospel got there. I think um, from the cross of Calvary. Luke records the fact that and, you know when Jesus was up on the cross, and of course the Roman centurion, they, they were mocking him and they were uh, just laughing at him and they were just doing all these things after they whipped him to the very last inch of his his life, and yet you know, he just still he's still there though he's all barely recognizable. And they take this purple cloth and they clothe him with it. And they put a crown upon his head, a crown of thorns. And they begin to mock him and say, oh, you know, hail king of the Jews and this kind of thing. And, and you see the kind of attitude that's there even at the foot of the cross where they're gambling for his clothing. And then at the end, there's just this one thing just really sticks out at us where there's this one Roman where Jesus begins to breathe his last breath, and he says, Father, into, my, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he says, this is one centurion, this one Roman, and he says, surely, surely this was the Son of God. And I thought, well, maybe. Maybe it could have been that guy. Look over the book of Acts chapter 10 and I see the house of Cornelius. He was a man who, who was known to be devout and righteous and did all these acts, unsaved, of course, and he went through all the motions of religion. And yet, uh, God was able to reach him through the preaching of Peter who didn't want to go at the first. And then after Peter comes and he preaches the gospel and they received the same Holy Spirit that, that, that was poured out on them at Pentecost. He realized that even salvation has come even to the Gentiles as much as to the Jews and if they get saved. Maybe it came through the life of Cornelius. What I'm saying is, it didn't really make sense initially that the Romans, of all people, would accept the gospel, but God was at work. Again, the, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that, that pairs to them who are lost. In fact, the Bible says it this way. The preaching of the cross is to them that pairs foolishness but unto us which are saved. It's the power of God. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, but unto the Greeks, foolishness. I don't know what it had have been to the Romans. He didn't mention the Romans, but I'm sure that it, it was contrary to, to everything that they, they stood up for. For them, it was conquering. For them, it was winning battles. and No crucified Christ won anything in their minds. But to the, the Christian, we realize we have victory in Christ, victory in Jesus, as we see. But nonetheless, this gospel got into the very core of Rome. I believe it even got, when Paul was preaching there to some of these stewards and servants, we look over to the book of Philippians, where Paul is caught up in that prison situation, and he says, the gospel is not bound. I may be bound, but the gospel is not bound. It's it's going forth throughout all of Caesar's household. This is what he says. and it begins to penetrate Rome. And Paul, as he's writing this, he says, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that they would be humble enough as Romans to receive a Jewish messiah. Though it's the Israelites who, underneath their rule, they have accepted the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, the one who died for them. And they're willing in humility to accept that. And once you have the reality of Jesus, it, it captures the attention of others. Particularly there, it says, Paul says, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. In other words, they're looking and they're scratching their heads at all these Romans. Why would they? Why would they accept this Jesus? We, we heard about them, and I mean, it seems like they they, they are continually, it wasn't a one-week kind of thing. It wasn't a two-week kind of thing. It wasn't a month kind of thing. This is an ongoing thing, and, and it really just captures the attention. We, we know these guys. We know the Romans, and we know what they believe, and we know how they act, and we know how they behave, but yet they still hold to this faith and it just really penetrated the world. Why? Because the Romans were free, and they could travel anywhere throughout the known world during this time. And... They just puzzled them and boggled their minds. Why? Because it wasn't passing. It wasn't fleeting. It was a change that had been wrought because that change was noticed by others. They didn't have any other explanation other than God has moved into their life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I don't know about you, but I want a faith that other people notice. When I look at the life of the Romans, maybe it wasn't a hard thing for people to notice their faith. Maybe they did stand out amongst everybody else. Maybe when everybody else was going into the temple and worshiping their gods, and they say, I'm not going, and they stood out. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was easy. I don't know if it was hard. I don't know the situations that were there, but I do know that they had a faith that was noticed, and I want a faith. And when I step out on the streets of Easton or in Bethlehem and I go to the stores and people see me out wherever I am, they take notice not that I'm a crazy driver or not that I'm a southerner or not that I'm something else. But they take notice that I have Christ in me. That's what I want them to notice that I'm always speaking about my faith because there's one only one way that I can think of that they had to notice because they they had to be continually speaking about this Jesus. And when it was on the lips of everybody else, uh, this Jesus, maybe maybe it was in the hope of the Apostle Paul that maybe if it was on their lips, maybe the same gospel of Jesus would enter into their hearts and they would personally receive him and it would make a difference. But Paul says, their faith is shed Their faith is going out into all the world. It's spoken of. It's seen. It's been displayed. It's been put, put on a uh, just spotlight for everybody to notice. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, you know, um, let your light so shine before men that people may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think maybe that's what Jesus means when he says, let, there, let you be salt and light in this world because this is, this is who they were. This is what they were talking about. They weren't the secret service kind of Christians who were undercover all the time. You don't even know that they truly believed or not. They showed up at church. Here's, here's something. They made their prayers in public. You know, some, this, it's, that's one thing that people notice. Like when you are out at a restaurant, Cracker Barrel, or someplace else, and you, you bow your head and you say your prayers, people take notice. That doesn't happen too much anymore. They notice when you're showing up at church when everybody else on Sunday, they're doing other activities. They notice, uh, you know, if you, you're having they're having a birthday party on Sunday and you say, I'm not showing up on Sunday because Sunday is the Lord's Day and I'm going to be at church, they notice that. They notice uh, our prayers. They notice we're not ashamed of who we are in Christ. Paul says that if there's anything to be thankful about, thank God for the work of God in your lives. That is something real and genuine. People have seen how you've embraced it. They've seen the changes in your life and it's just, not just the talk of the town, but it's the talk of the world. Jesus, again, is on their lips. Let's ask a question tonight. Are we thankful? Are we thankful for other believers? Are we thankful no matter what, how, what, how they are in their spiritual growth? They, they could be the, uh, so low in their spiritual growth they don't know anything about anything. They're green or they could be the most spiritual person on the face of this earth. I don't know. I don't know those kind of people, you know, but uh, they could be that kind of person. But are you thankful for them? Those who show up in church, are you thankful for them? It wasn't, wasn't the breath that they were taking in the morning that they were thankful for. Again, the roof over the head, the things that they were able to enjoy was the people for whom the Apostle Paul was sent to serve, and he was thankful for the ministry that the Lord had given him. Some people say this, the ministry would be great if it weren't for people. You ever hear that? I hear it all the time. The Apostle Paul would never go along with that philosophy. He says the ministry is great because of people. The ministry is great because of the work that's being done through the people. The ministry is great because of the Holy Spirit in the people. He wouldn't say that, you know, the ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. This is an opportunity to serve. You can look at the, you can look at the troubles and the hardships and say, well, you know what? It's just, it's not worth it. Or you can look at the troubles and the hardships and say, you know what? <laughs> I've been through those same struggles myself. I've, I've struggled with the area of music. i struggled in the area uh, uh, of uh, purity. I've struggled in the area of all these other things. And you know what? I've been there too, but God helped me have power over those things. And you can look at people and say, well, there's no helping them, or you can help them and be thankful for them. I want you to think of the next thing, prayer. Paul had learned to pray for these Roman believers. In verse 9, we see this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Sunday without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I think of how backwards we have things these days. It seems like we always put service first, and we're constantly throwing ourselves into the service without the prayer. And Paul Paul, he seems to emphasize the prayer. He knows about the faith of these people, and he begins to pray for them before he even shows up to try to minister or try to serve or try to do anything for them. To to begin a ministry, he says, the first thing that I can do for anybody is to begin to pray for them. I need need to pray before anything else, and that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ was. I think of the Lord Jesus before the Sermon on the Mount. Luke records for us over in Luke chapter 6. Often when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, we think of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. But Luke has his, his Sermon on the Mount there. It's in Luke chapter 6. And it says this, he says in Luke six twelve, And it came to pass in those days that he went into a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and he chose twelve whom he named the apostles. He was praying all night before he even named one of them. He had all these disciples that were gathered around, and he chose 12 out of the bunch, and and he was praying before he preached the Sermon on the Mount. He was praying for those who would be there and hear the things he had to say. He was praying for those he would call into his inner circle. He was praying for Peter, James, and John, and he's praying for you and I. Why? Because he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. He's still praying for us. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 38 says, In the morning, again, talking about Jesus. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. I think of my wife when I think of these things. She says, "Uh, Honey, you get to go out to an office somewhere, and you can go out and pray, but, you know, I'm constantly surrounded by by the children, and I need to take care of them, and the solitary places are hard to find. (laughs) Uh, but sometimes I guess maybe you go into the bathroom and shut the door for a minute and you pray. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, uh, he went into a solitary place and there prayed and Simon and they they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. And he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. Before Jesus even met one person in the next town, of course, he knew all about them. He was praying for them. He was praying for the preaching. He was praying for it to have power. He's praying for it to have an effect upon those who would be there, those who would heal, those who uh, would raise from the dead, those who would, whoever whatever the situation was. He was praying for them, and he was praying for the preaching, and he was praying for God's will to be done in the lives of those. Prayer is vital to the ministry is what I find. We can't do ministry without prayer. Paul said, you know, it was Peter. No, it was Peter. Peter said, he says, you know, it's not me for me to serve tables. We must give ourselves unto prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. And sometimes we neglect, neglect prayer. Before Paul ever met the Romans, whether in chains or in otherwise, he was praying for them. And then we noticed the frequency, he prayed without ceasing. He never stopped praying for them. When I think of this, I think of the old testament high priest. He would often wear this breastplate, and it would have these twelve stones, and I'm sure that these stones were heavy that he wear upon them and remind him of the burden that he was carrying of all the tribes of Israel that he would be offering up the sins for these people. And Paul says upon his shoulders was the care of all the churches. He was burdened for them. I imagine, again, that that breastplate was semi-heavy, but Paul says that the cares of all the churches were on his shoulders. He prayed frequently. He prayed continually, at least once a week, I'm sure. But he prayed specifically for them, and he prayed personally for them. He says, I make mention of you in my prayers. I've often thought about how a young minister of myself can best serve the congregation. And, um, you know, what can I do? You know, how... What can I preach? What's going to make the difference? And oftentimes, as ministers, the hardest thing is, you know, what do I preach the next time that I, I show up? You know, what, what do I say to those who are coming to me for counseling situations? How can I help somebody? How can I be a blessing to somebody? How can I encourage them when they're going through hardships and trials in their life? And the thing that I figured out is God knows everything about everybody, and who better to go to than Him? He knows how to meet your needs better than I do. I, uh, it's been a little while, but Sarah was telling me a while ago, she said, you know, I'm, I've been praying and uh, God's put upon my heart that um, we'd like to have our nephew Warren, and of course, Warren's with us tonight, like to have Warren with us. And she said, I don't know why, but God put it upon my heart that, you know, that we would have him with us all summer long, and she says, uh, I want to know if that's okay. I said, sure. Why wouldn't it be okay? I'm glad that you know God has put that upon your heart, and you know it just—it was one of these things. And Warren, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but you know I just remember him being really little. I remember when we gave him a Bible for Christmas, and. And you know, right after we gave him that Bible, I remember the very next day we were sitting down at the kitchen table and we were able to have devotions and sit down and share the Word of God with him. And he was asking me, he said, what does this mean and what does that mean? And, and I'm sitting trying to break it down to the best that I can, you know. We were starting Genesis 1 and some of those things can get kind of complicated, you know. And um, it was just a really sensitive time and he's always been very sensitive and I appreciate that about him. And it was the same time Sarah had introduced him to a a waffle maker, and we had chocolate chip waffles too, and it was good. (laughs) Um, but it, it was something that was precious. And, and I remember those times. And I've, I desire for God to do something in his life. Why? Because I believe he can. And I've seen this happen in my life where, you know, there's been a, a situation where uh, something has happened. There has been preaching going on in this one couple where uh, this man says, I, I think that God is calling me to be a missionary into China. And the wife looks over and says, there's, there's not a chance in the world that's ever going to happen. See, God knows, God knows, even Levi, God knows that when you come up here and you, you give those testimonies, God knows that the devil's out there to try to tear apart that decision and say, well, that decision really wasn't, there was nothing to that decision, maybe I was mistaken. The devil knows, he, he wants to ruin the ministry, he wants to ruin the testimonies of, of individuals, and we need to be praying. That's the only thing. It's going to change things. We don't know what the next person is going through. We don't know what they're going to be faced with. We don't know the next trial that's going to happen. Uh, We think that, you know, we're just going to walk in the doors this next Sunday and so and so that we're used to seeing is going to be sitting right here in the pew and then you find out that person has died and you say, I wasn't expecting that. Were you praying for them? Paul says, you guys are on my heart. We must be praying for the work of God in the hearts of men and women, growing in grace and gifted for his glory, praying for them. And we need to pray personally, not, you know, sometimes we get up and we pray. You say, you know, will you pray for me? You know, I got this need going on. And, you know, it just, I, I, I need help and it doesn't seem like I'm getting help. And you say, sure, I'm praying for you. And that person never prayed for you. We need to be personally praying. You know, you would want them to pray for it if it were you. If you were the one that had cancer, you would want them to pray for you. If you were in a hospital like Miss Mary is, you would want people to be praying for you. If you were going through a trial and your, your loved ones and your, your sons, your, your children, your grandkids were running away from the home and you don't know what's going on, you would want them to pray for you. Make it personal. Make it specific. Make it frequent. Uh, part of Paul's serving was, was serving in prayer. That was part of it. How do you be thankful? Well, you praise those good qualities. You pray for those God has put in your life and burdened you for. How do you be thankful? You pour out your lives into others. Verses 11 and 12 Says this: For I long to see you that I may impart unto you the spiritual gift, some spiritual gift to the end that you might be established, that is, that I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and of me. Sometimes we look at this and we say, well, what does he mean? He wants to impart some, some spiritual gift. What is he talking about? Well, can I tell you this? He's not talking about the spiritual gifts as in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when he begins to talk about the gifts of tongues and uh, prophecy and what have you, those spiritual gifts that were just for a time, he's not talking about those that passed out, passed off the scene uh, after the apostles. He wasn't talking about when Apostles said when when Paul says, "I've worked among you the, the 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 works of an apostle." He's not talking about those. He's talking about. Something that's going to build their faith. He's talking about the Word of God. If I break it all down, that's what it means. Uh, In fact, you know, I I want to blow my notes, but that's okay. But um, if you go with me, go back down to, go to Romans chapter 16, if you will. 16 verse 25. Romans chapter 16, verse 25, says this, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Now Paul says, I want to establish you, and establish you into faith, but how are you going to do it? He says, according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world, world began. And this is what he's trying to impart to them, the, the spiritual truths. Even when, it, when Paul is dealing with all these gifts and he, you know, the, the Corinthians were lifted up in pride, they begin to say, well, you know, I can do this and I can do that. What can you do? Paul says the greatest gift of all is not tongues. The greatest gift of all is prophecy. The greatest gift of all is be able to break down the Word of God so that you might be able to teach others that they might know who Jesus is and what He came to do for you and, and, and to root them in the truths of the Word of God. That's what he had trouble with over with the Jewish believers all the time. They knew the Scriptures. They just didn't put Christ into the Scriptures. And all, all kinds of people would struggle with the Scriptures. Paul says what you need to know more than anything else is the preaching, to be able to break down the Scriptures and apply it personally to your life. It's this revelation. This is what he wants to impart in the spiritual gift of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit illuminating your eyes to what the Bible has to say. I can I can I can speak to you all day long, but unless the Holy Spirit reveals it unto you and say this this is needful for me means nothing unless the Holy Spirit does the work. This listen, I understand that preaching is a spiritual gift. But it's also a spiritual gift in receiving, the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit to receive, uh, to, to deepen your faith. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> Sometimes you're without words, you know what I mean? And Paul says this, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's what he wanted. I've come to this realization that uh, sometimes we think that pouring ourselves into the ministry is just, it's hard. But can I tell you this? Pouring yourselves into the lives of others is a blessing. It, it is hard work. I'm not going to lie about it. It is hard work. But when you when you are working with, when you see somebody grow, especially when you're dealing with, working with little littles, and you're trying to impart these truths, I ask by the way may I don't know if you want to turn this off when i asked elijah i said what did you learn in sunday school today uh for children's church i mean what did you learn for children's church he said nothing <laughs> I, I don't remember anything i said what are you doing down there <laughs> i said don't worry about it he gives me this response every single every single week so i'm i'm used to it by now <laughs> But when you pour your life into these little ones and you see them grow spiritually, maturely, and you see the changes that are taking place in their life, it encourages you. Not only are you blessing them, but when you see how they grow, it blesses you. And you get excited about God. But why? Because you see how far they've come. And you just want to see God do it all over again. I love to see young Christians in the Lord. I love to see him walk through the door and say, "I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to find, I don't know how to find uh, Genesis in in the Bible." You say, "Well, you just for very first book. There there are people like that. When I went to Bible college, there was half the books of the Bible I didn't understand. Where is that? You know, is that even in the Bible? Kind of thing. You know, I, I was I was just green as could be. But praise the Lord for those Christians. I mean, it just fires you up, and you see what God is doing in their life. I mean, it just gets you excited. Because of this transforming work that is going on. When someone's born again of the Spirit and change takes place on the inside. Values begin to change. The things they used to thought uh, used to think was important, they don't think is important anymore. You say, praise God for that. The things they used to do, you don't see them doing it anymore. Praise God. Paul, Paul longed to see. Paul, Paul longed to be present and guide the new believers through the transformation process. That's what he wanted. Is that what you want? Is that what you want for your your grandkids, your kids, those who are coming through the door? Do you long to see that transformation process take place in their life when you see that Holy Spirit has a hold of them and has their attention and, 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 and they don't even know what to do with it yet? It encourages us to see their growth. Again, I mentioned this at the very beginning, but let me go ahead and read it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'll preach on this here eventually, but let us look at it. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, Even as eternal power in God has so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were. What's that next word? Thankful. But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like a corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You know what a sign of a church is losing the spirit unthankfulness unthankfulness. Let us be thankful for the work that God is doing here in this church. Scottish minister by the name of Alexander White he was known for his uplifting prayers and and uh, he just seemed to be always encouraged in his prayers and And one day, I mean, it was thundering and lightning and just all kinds of stuff going on. Probably wasn't good for preaching uh, because things weren't very well soundproofed back then. And uh, one of the congregation members said this. You know, he was thinking, well, certainly he's not going to have a good prayer this time. (laughs) And he said this, we thank thee, O God, that it's not always like this. He always has something to be thankful for. Listen, we always have something to be thankful for. And let us give those thanks unto the Lord. Let us, let us praise. Let us be thankful for people around us. Let us praise God for them and the work of grace done in their lives. Let us pray for them. And let us pour our hearts into them. And that will help you to be thankful when you see the work of God done in their lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, what a joy it is to be here, to hear your word preached, to see the work of God manifested, to hear how the Holy Spirit is working. Lord, may you just continue to do a great work as only you can do. Everything that you do, you do all things well. Lord, help us to acknowledge that with a thankful spirit. Even if the preacher preaches long, let us be thankful. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us stand to our feet.